podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm a talking gopher, here to encourage you to buy insurance. Because you should always listen to the advice of spokes animals. After all, who knows more about this protecting This spokes your animal home? has been interrupted by AAA Insurance for a special offer. Buy a new AAA auto and or home insurance policy to enjoy up to $376 in savings and get a $100 gift card with purchase. With savings like that, AAA doesn't need spokes animals. AAA, outsmart life. The gift card offer is valid on qualifying policies in California only. Visit AAA.com slash promo for terms. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Nation. Trace Trelko here. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live. 35 days until UCF kicks off the 2021 season. Tonight we're talking about the defensive line. We also have the very latest on the Big 12's War of Words with ESPN, and we're answering your questions. No cease and desist orders for these guys. Let's welcome in the Sons of UCF, Adam and Mike. Gentlemen. Um, Trace, where's Sammy Kincaid? <laughs> you like that That's little the- cameo, didn't you? That was pretty good. That's- it's the whole reason I showed up tonight. I thought Sammy would be here. What a, what a disappointment. Mike, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's the most interesting offseason in the history of offseasons, so at least we got that going for us, right? Uh, that has certainly been the case. It is an offseason with plenty of news. Before we get to the latest with the uh, Big 12, the uh, big scheduling news announced. Uh, of course, you had Florida UCF officially announced earlier in the week, and then Facing off against the Big Ten now, Maryland in a home-and-home with the Terps. Your reaction, do you like that, a return of that Maryland series that was on the schedule a couple years back? I mean, obviously, I'd love to see a new team, right? I mean, we just played Maryland recently, so if I'm being uh, selfish, I'd love us to spread it around and get another kind of team. But obviously, Maryland's an up-and-coming program. Uh, Mike Loxley is there from from, uh, Alabama. They had a decent year last season. Uh, Tua's brother is the quarterback. I don't think he'll be there in 25, but they are a program that's been recruiting better lately. So, uh, yeah, I don't mind going into Big Ten country and, and playing the Terps again. Again, if I was being selfish, I would love to see somebody we haven't played recently. But I think it's a nice uh, nice little home-and-home home with Maryland. Yeah, I don't mind the Maryland one either. It was, a, it was an exciting game the first time in Orlando. I think it was double overtime in McKenzie's first start where he fumbled about 12 times. And, yeah. and, <laughs> and then, of course, the time when we went up there and we beat them up pretty good. So we're even one for one, and we can redo it again now and see who the better team is, I guess, almost 10 years later. Terry Mahajer filling out that schedule a little bit. And depending on what happens with the Big 12, the AAC, perhaps all of these scheduling concerns will go away. Uh, The news late this afternoon, the SEC votes shockingly 14 to nothing. All member schools voting to invite Oklahoma and Texas to join the SEC. And ESPN responding to Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby's uh, cease and desist letter. I opened up referencing that in mentioning you, the cease and desist letter sent by Bowlesby to ESPN. Stop interfering with all of these things. ESPN out with a statement saying, the accusations you have made are entirely without merit, apart from a single vague uh, allegation that ESPN has been actively engaged in discussions with at least one other unnamed conference, which we believe is the American, which ESPN disputes. Your letter consists entirely of unsubstantiated speculation and legal conclusions. To be clear, ESPN has engaged in no wrongful conduct, and thus there is nothing to cease and desist. All about lawyers now, isn't it? 
I just like that. I'm sure some lawyer guy paid like six figures to write that one uh, that one email. So kudos to you lawyers out there. Listen, you guys all know I'm a huge fan of 90210, a nice little soap opera. This may be better because we've got petty letters. We've got accusations. We've got behind the back stuff. We've got people talking to other people. We've got people flirting with other places. Uh, this has all the intrigue you would want in your daytime novella uh, on uh, on TV. So I'm here for all of it. Here's what I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I feel bad for the however many of you who are listening to us now who think that you're going to tune in and me, Mike, and Trace are going to give you some insight because we have no idea what's going to happen. All we know tomorrow, the big 12 ADs are going to meet and decide, quote unquote, what's next. Uh, whatever that means, I don't know. Obviously, is the AAC, is Mike Oresco on the offensive? Uh, will there be just a disbanding of conferences altogether? I have no idea what to expect, and nobody else out there really does either. So all I know is I'm going to tune in like I'm watching a good old 90210 soap opera because this is really good uh, live drama and intrigue. And it's just getting started. This is just the first domino of these two schools. I'm not surprised if the SEC goes out and grabs whoever else they want. Everybody can talk about grant of rights all they want, contracts, this and that. Nothing seems to scare these guys. They'll go after any school in the country and pluck them and try to take them into their conference. Um, who knows exactly what's going to happen next. The Big 12 looks like it's going up in flames. That's something we thought we were headed there, and now it seems like all those schools are heading towards us. But it, it, two days from now, everything could be different. Two days, two minutes from now. There was a lot of late-night news breaking on Twitter uh, last night about this, Bob Bowlesby saying that while they do not like what has happened today, they plan on welcoming the uh, fan bases from uh, Oklahoma and Texas over the next four years. Do you think that's going to be the case? Is this really going to be four years that they're this late? As it shakes out, we've got a lot of Ask uh, the Suns uh, questions uh, coming up uh, later on in the show. Uh, as this shakes out, though, do you feel uh, removed a week from now that UCF is in a better position? Uh, than it was when this news first broke last week? Um, I don't know about better. I, I'd say the same or, or maybe a tad worse, right? Because as these musical chairs fall around, I mean, if you want to read the conspiracy theory leaves, it seems as though ESPN is trying to nuke the entire Big 12. Some would tell you that that's to get out of a $1 billion contract. So if that's the case, then what are those Big 12 teams become? Do they come to the AAC? And does that then make them a power conference? Do they combine with the Pac-12 does this become a power four now and we're still boxed out? So I think the dissolution of the Big 12, which I, I think we maybe thought was an option last week, but now it seems like it may be on the doorstep of happening, hurts another uh, avenue UCF had. So now it's really a forceful American conference or does the ACC come calling? I think maybe those are the two options now because it feels like the Big 12 is just on the doorstep to, uh, to nowhere at this point. If you would have given me the option of us joining the Big 12 with the remaining eight, say us and three other American schools, Cincinnati, Memphis, and maybe Houston, uh, I would have taken that instead of having these guys come over this way. And we still are stuck in a conference with East Carolina, Tulane, Tulsa, and the Cows. I was really looking forward to leaving the Cows behind. <laughs> and now it seems like we may be stuck with them if this is the conference we stay in. Well, there's so much rumors and talk. You know, it came out la late last night, Dennis Dodd, I believe it was, saying that the AAC being aggressive wants all eight of those remaining Big 12 schools. The AAC is at 11 now. Who imagined that the Super Conference might turn out to be the AAC? Uh, at least fans who've been clamoring for Mike Oresco, Commissioner of the AAC, to be more aggressive. Perhaps they're getting their wish here. Commissioner Oresco won't say much during next week's AAC Media Days, no doubt about this, but it does seem like with his position uh, previously in television, ESPN and the like, uh, he's well positioned to do something here. And I think fans of all of these programs looking to see what moves he may make uh, as this unfolds. Well, if you, if you want to believe Bob Bowlesby and his fantastic uh, signature line, um, this would be ESPN orchestrating that, right? I mean, that's the way Bowlesby made this seem as though ESPN was kind of reaching out and trying to make some moves on behalf of others, meaning Oresco is just there picking the phone up. Now, again, Mike and I and Trace, I think you a little bit as well have been critical of Oresco and some of his his lack of decisiveness in the past. So I, I guess I, I don't know how much credit I want to give him at this point. You know, if you want to believe the Big 12 letter, this was ESPN calling Oresco and saying, hey, what do you think about these three teams or five teams, whatever it was. But obviously, if he can go on the off Offensive now, this would be the time for him to show his medal, and uh, we'll see if he has something up his sleeve that he can pull off. A lot of people celebrating Oresco the last couple of days. This guy's just a patsy. He's doing whatever ESPN tells him to do. Let's face it. He'll take whatever teams ESPN is willing to give him. 
But it, it's not like he's going out and plucking these schools. Yes, I said plucking again. It's not like he's going out and grabbing these schools. <laughs> he's taking what he's given. And if ESPN wants to, after they add these Big 12 schools, if, he, if they want to take us and take and Cincinnati and take them and move them to this ACC, there's nothing he can do about that either. Well, we've gotten quite a few questions about this coming up in the Suns mailbag. We will widely speculate there. Perhaps Mike will find a way to work in the word pluck again later on in the show. Shifting a little bit to football, we've been previewing the offense again. UCF football out with a Twitter statement today. Where will you be in 35 days? Of course, Mike planning the big tailgate that uh, details are still coming out on, but we shift to defense uh, this week. Uh, the big question that I asked on Twitter, what area on UCF football's defense are you most concerned about? Do you have the most questions? Uh, defensive backs, 43%, uh, 37% for the linebackers in the position group we're looking at tonight. Defensive line, just 20% concerned about that. As I looked at the players on the defensive line, I feel like we've got a lot of depth there. Yeah, I mean, I think even though uh, uh, we've got a lot of new guys back there, and obviously the D-line wasn't necessarily as stout last year as we wanted to, uh, it feels like with the depth we have, I think two years back, we always, at least I always joked about it being kind of a hockey lineup where, you know, four guys in, four guys out, and we could continue to rotate. feels like we're back to that kind of standard again. And this poll makes makes sense to me. I think, you know, I talked about it on our show this week that the back seven is really an area that that I'm interested to figure out how we shore up. You know the names, you know some of the pedigree, you've seen them play, but this is the year now that we're going to need someone to kind of emerge from that back seven to be a leader like a Richie Grant, like a Titus Davis, dare I even say like a Shaquem Griffin. Uh, and so I, I think that the D-line is probably the most consistent, at least on paper, position group that we have on the defensive side. I'm surprised defensive line got 20% of the vote on this. I thought for sure it's an easy, that's the best uh, unit on the defense. The The secondary, as we know, is young coming in from last year. Some guys that got some experience but now have to grow up quickly. The defensive line, like you guys mentioned, I think we have two rotations of guys that can come in and just stay fresh all game. I know, Mike, you like Big Cat. Uh, is he who you expect to emerge to be the biggest force on this line? Hey. All the hype in the preseason goes around the big cat. Yes, he's the guy you want to see sacking the quarterback, getting pressure on the quarterback. But also, Traymond Morris Brash on the other end. We've been seeing this guy now for the last couple of years. Last year, there was questions about his conditioning coming into the season. He's a guy that was very highly touted coming out of high school. If the two of them can be edge rushers like we think they can be and put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, that, that's going to make the job for the secondary and everybody else a lot easier. And it's going to make the defense very formidable. And Adam, Trace, what about you? Not, who are you looking for here? Yeah, let's not discount Kalia Davis. So he's a guy who did not play in 2020. Here's his 2019 stats for those who forgot. He had eight tackles for loss and three sacks. Those eight tackles for loss would have put him number one last season for UCF. Those three sacks would have put him tied for second on the team. So a productive player that we saw in 2019 obviously sat out 2020 by all accounts. He's kind of fresh, reinvigorated, ready to go. I think if you think about the, the three headed monster that you could rotate there on that inside between him, Ricky Barber from Western Kentucky, and then cam good. I think those are three formidable guys that you can keep rotating in and around. And then don't forget about Antonio, uh, Anthony Montalvo, who is just all effort, all energy. The kids always running around the field. That's a formidable sort of uh, big middle center of the, of the line there. And if those three guys can step up and Kalia Davis, becomes what he was in 2019 again that's a formidable bunch that will really stuff the run you know if they get pressure up the middle and force you know quarterbacks to the outside i think we have speed on the outside with Salascar with big cat uh, and so that, that could certainly be a big help this year so kalia davis i guess to me is, is the linchpin uh and what that might be yeah stopping the run obviously the most important thing that's going to set up the pass rushings on third and long with, with the other guys that you mentioned on the edge and Salascar. remember Salascar came in had one of the best games ever for a freshman in their very first game with an interception, forcing a fumble. Uh, I expect big growth out of him this year too. And the linebackers now with it's probably the most veteran unit unit with Eric Gilliard and, and Tatum Bethune, older guys now that have to step up into leadership roles. Th those guys need to grow up too. With 2020 being such a forgettable year with COVID and the impact on the season, at least one good thing that came out of it was so many guys, you mentioned South Star, getting game day experience across this bumpy 2020 season. You'd expect those sorts of, uh, you know, game day action to pay dividends uh, here in 2021. 
Yeah, you, you hope, right? I mean, he got a lot of run last year. Even, you know, uh, we don't talk a lot about Landon Woodson. He's an, an older player, but he had five and a half tackles for a loss last season. Just a, a quality veteran. Noah Hancock got some playing time last year. I think he played really well. Uh, Stefan Zayas, who I think was was pretty good the year prior. I think he battled some injuries this last year. So I think you're right, Trish. You have those guys who maybe wouldn't have been your, your top line starters that got a lot of run last year that I think played well that you got to hope now when you add them into the mix and they're only going to get, you know, instead of the 10 snaps they got, maybe they get six snaps. So that, do they go harder on those six snaps? Are they trying to make the most of those opportunities? So I think we, we talk about it every every position group. Competition breeds success in some respects. I think that a lot of the guys here who play really well, guys who've been on the field and want to get back on the field, I think this could be re- this could really could be the strongest uh, position group that UCF has overall um, throughout the entire team. On our show the last few weeks, we had some guys that played in 2011, 2012, 2013, Brandon Alexander, Terrence Plummer, and they talked to us about how in 2011, they took their lumps on defense. Remember, that was a down year coming off a good 2010 season, but those lumps helped them in 2012 and 2013 build that defense into what it became. Of course, there are a lot of questions that we don't know. What is the defense going to look like under a new coaching staff, a new defensive coordinator? We've uh, had the several years experience with Randy Shannon. That's a wild card in all of this. And I don't know that we're going to get a lot of answers over preseason camp as it opens next week or that will be shared by coaches. But uh, you got to think that it's a renewed energy now, right? It's no longer this division between offense and defense. Hypo walled off. Shannon's guys walled off. There seems to be a fresh energy here. This is a position group, the defense, the defensive line, a lot of upside potential in this 21 season. Yeah, on the show this week, Mike and I did our big three storylines to watch this upcoming season. And and the one storyline that I picked, I think, was my third choice. And I just called it fun. And just did the the guys have the fun back, the camaraderie, the energy? 2020 was a rough year, I think, for any number of reasons that we could sit around and talk about. Um, So is is the fun back? Is the energy back? It seems like, you know, T-Will is just a human Red Bull and his energy is infectious. It seemed like the guys really enjoy being around him. So I think that's the thing that I'm most interested in this race is you know will that spark come back and this is not meant to be a disrespect to hype on the coaching staff but it felt like in the previous years we did a lot of gimmicky things to have fun right we threw a, a giant tarp on the field and called it a slip and slide right we you know we threw water balloons at each other right we tossed the egg around whatever it was and while that stuff can be fun I, I think natural fun and camaraderie is where i'd love to see if this team goes and i think you know this is a position group that you know we know the personalities we had cam good on the show uh you know anybody who names himself big cat has to have a personality so i'm curious to see how how this got gels together but i think that that fun and cohesiveness is really something that i'd be watching for um, particularly as the uh, as the fall camp opens up we've talked a lot about complimentary football the last couple of years i don't think we actually did it the offense was out there scoring as fast as they could and it hurt the defense now this year malzahn with a more professional offense if we have a big lead late in the game i see him running out the clock keeping that defense fresh and we have the guys to rotate in and out so I expect a much better defense this year. Yeah, I I feel good about the defensive line. And, Mike, I share that with you, that uh, 20% of folks responding concern there. That's really the least uh, on the defense that that has my concern. Let's shift to linebackers next week as our position-by-position reviews continue, uh, previews continue. Uh, We'll take a look at the linebackers, and, uh, you know, we'll see as we get closer, just 35 days out. Some other football news. uh, How about the – uh, Aaron Rodgers saga in Green Bay. He returns and then the boat, Blake Bortles, he goes out the door. Yeah, first off, that Aaron Rodgers press conference was fascinating. If you haven't listened to that 30-minute soliloquy that he put on, that was actually pretty funny. Yeah, tough to see uh, Tough to see Blake lose that opportunity. Uh, obviously, I think we all wanted um, him to get a chance. Um, you know, I, I think we knew he was a veteran filler on that squad and and maybe is a bit of a leverage from the Packers perspective. Uh, hopefully he gets a chance to catch on someplace down the road because obviously I think we all uh, we all you know, feel feel good about Blake and want to see him get another opportunity. Yeah, he's in a good spot. A quarterback, there's always a need. There's always injuries that pop up out of nowhere. As long as he stays in shape and gets – they'll get another opportunity somewhere down the line this season, I believe. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit more about this home opener in just 35 days as we are on a Thursday night. It will be on a Thursday night. Let's talk a little bit more about the opponent, Boise State. Let's join now uh, B.J. Reigns. He's the beat writer for the Idaho Press and BlueTurfSports.com. B.J., welcome into the Sons of UCF Live tonight. Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks. This will be fun. 
All right. Before we start talking about what Boise State's going to look like in 2021, so much has been happening in college football over the last week. What's your reaction to Oklahoma and Texas and this move to the SEC? And what do you think the impact is going to be on uh, Boise State and the Mountain West? Well, from a personal standpoint, I'm a little disappointed. Obviously, I'm, I'm a Kansas grad. I'm a Big 12 guy uh, through and through. Uh, so uh, disappointed to see the Big 12, you know, kind of be on life support here. But uh, I think it has a huge impact on Boise State. I think Boise State is now hoping that the uh, eight teams that are left in the Big 12 can stick together. And if they decide to add, you know, four or six and in a perfect world, maybe eight teams and go to 16 teams themselves, I think they'd be one of the prime candidates if they could, uh, you know, come together with some of the American teams, maybe a BYU uh I think Boise State, uh, you know, in 2016 applied to join the Big 12 the first time they were looking around at teams. So I think it, uh, they're, they're, you know, I think it could have a positive impact on them. And, and certainly I think they're going to be very curious to see if the Big 12 can, can stay together here and looks to add teams from the outside. Well, BJ, let's talk about this 2021 uh, uh, Boise State team. Obviously, new head coach Andy Avalos, who takes over in the the six degrees of separation concept here. Brian Harson takes over for Gus Malzahn when Gus gets fired. Gus now at UCF. Andy Avalos, previously the defensive coordinator, is now at Boise. What kind of coach is Andy Avalos, and and how and in what ways do you think he'll be different than what we saw under Brian Harson? Well, he's the first coach at Boise State in like 25-something uh, years that has a defensive background. You know, they've had an offensive head coach. Uh, set, you know, the last four, four or five head coaches have all had offensive backgrounds. So that's certainly going to be different from that standpoint, having a defensive guy being the head coach. You know, he played linebacker at Boise State. He, uh, you know, was a longtime assistant coach at Boise State, went to be the Oregon defensive coordinator for two years. So he's still familiar with the roster. He's still familiar uh, with a lot of the players and obviously the surroundings in Boise. So I think that, uh, you know, We'll have to, time will tell in terms of that standpoint, but certainly having a defensive guy, I think, is going to be a little bit of a change. But, you know, from a player standpoint, they seem to love him. He's more of a player's coach, um, you know, a little more laid back maybe than Brian Harson was. So, uh, so far, he's getting an A-plus from everybody, and uh, we'll find out, you know, once the season starts, you know, what the results in the field look like. We're obviously all excited to get this thing underway. The last thing we want is a cancellation. The big news out of UCF today Gus Malzahn said about 70% of the team has been vaccinated. What's the numbers coming out of Boise? Are you guys uh, up, have a higher percentage or what's it like? Uh, probably a lower percentage, to be honest, right now. I know uh, uh, it sounds like they've got some work to do in that area at Mountain West Media Days in Las Vegas uh, last week. The Mountain West said there was like seven teams that were above 80%, and I confirmed that Boise State is not one of those. And uh, Andy Avalos said, uh, I think he didn't want to reveal the numbers, but I think he said that they, quote, had some work to do or something. So um, it sounds like that's something they're going to push. You know, it's tough here in Boise because the case numbers are pretty low, and I think it might just be a little tougher to motivate some of these guys. But I think that now that the Mountain West has come out and said, you know, you're going to have to forfeit the game and you're going to have to continue to wear masks and, te and uh, test if you don't get vaccinated. I mean, they're kind of incentivizing it for uh, players to get vaccinated. So I think that it's gonna, there's going to be a push that picks up here uh, moving forward. And I think that number is going to raise. But right now it's not where they want it to be and not where it should be. Let's dig in a little bit more on the team. Are you expecting a quarterback battle this training camp? Yeah, they got two guys, Hank Bachmeyer, Jack Sears, both obviously are, are going for the job. And, you know, Hank Bachmeyer has um, been the starter both years when he's been healthy, but he hasn't always been healthy. He had uh, COVID, missed a couple games last year. He missed six games his true freshman year. You know, he, he kind of burst onto the scene, true freshman year, first game in Tallahassee, uh, led them on a comeback to beat Florida State uh, on the road, and then and then uh, just hasn't been able to, you know, get through a full season for whatever reason due to injuries and COVID and stuff. So um, I think he has a leg up going in. I would suspect that Bach Bachmeyer will win the job, but Jack Sears, the USC transfer, uh, in the game he played last year against Air Force was almost uh, perfect. 17 for 20, three touchdowns, almost 300 yards, and uh, they were really excited about him starting the next week against BYU when uh, he got hit in the first quarter, a helmet-to-helmet hit and left the game, and then uh, you know didn't get back in the rest of the season due to COVID and cancellations and other stuff. So both guys, I think, are in the mix. I think both guys will play. Um, they're, you know, It's a new offensive coordinator, obviously a new staff, so they're trying to make this thing as fair as possible, but I think Hank Bachmeyer has the edge, and I would be uh, pretty surprised if he wasn't the guy that started uh, Thursday night, September 2nd, down there at the bounce house yeah you mentioned the new off offensive coordinator tim plow the third offensive coordinator in three years for boise what uh what differences might we see in offense this year 
Well, it's not really anything new to have them go into a new coordinator. They, they lose their coordinators you know, almost every year in terms of uh, going to power five coordinator gigs and things like that. I mean, if you're a team looking for an offensive coordinator, uh, the, whoever the coordinator at Boise State is, is a nice place to start. So, uh, you know, Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at Missouri, was a former offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator at Minnesota now, Mike Sanford. You can go down the line. So um, Tim Plow was a finalist for the offensive coordinator at Baylor a year ago. Uh, did not get that one. Um, he is um, – put up some crazy high offensive numbers uh, at UC Davis at the FCS level. Um, they, they led, uh, you know, the uh, Big Sky Conference and a lot of the national numbers and passing yards and total offense and things like that. Uh, we haven't been able to see a ton of it because they, they really dumbed it down in the spring game. I don't think they wanted to get too much of it out there, but it sounds like uh, no huddling or, or very little huddling. It sounds like uh, not much, much substituting. And I don't know if it's going to be as fast as the Oregon offenses in the past where they like sprinted up to the line of scrimmage and snapped it as fast as they could. But it sounds like they're going to go, go, go. And the offensive line is talking about how much quicker it is. And there's not going to be a lot of time to, to get set at the line of scrimmage and uh, survey things. It's going to be get to the line of scrimmage, hike the ball and go. And uh, it's supposed to have a lot of different options for a lot of different options on every play for the quarterback to make decisions. And um, they, they all everyone, you know, all the players say they love it. And then it's going to put up a lot of points. And Tim Plow's uh, kind of motto is, uh, is hashtag is half a hundred he said his goal every game is to get half a hundred and wants to get to 50 point mark and you know Boise State is the highest scoring team in the country since 2000 so scoring points is something they obviously uh you know are used to doing around here and he wants to push that to another level this year so I'm excited we're going to see it just like you guys do on September 2nd what it really looks like for the UCF fans that are not too familiar with the Boise players who are the big playmakers we need to keep an eye on for that game well, wide receiver Khalil Shakir is an NFL guy. Uh, he could have gone to the NFL last year, decided to come back number two. He's Boise State's best offensive player. Uh, he's the, the number one receiver. They can give it to him on fly sweeps. He can line up in the backfield. He can do the wildcat stuff. Khalil Shakir is their best offensive uh, weapon by far. A uh, couple guys on defense, Riley, Riley Wimpy, a linebacker, number 44. He's one of those super seniors that uh, came back for his fifth year. Uh, he's an all-league guy. Uh, and then Keikala Kaniho from Hawaii is a, a fifth year uh, senior he's a was a you know all-american last year he's a guy that has a chance to do some things and he's another fifth year senior super senior that decided to come back and those are two guys that are just prototypical guys that are just perfect to head back for another year to lead that defense and so um, those would be three guys I mean George Halani at running back rushed for a thousand yards as well with his freshman year and was hurt last year um, they got four four returning offensive linemen um, but they feel pretty good about most of their most of their team. They just said, you know, the biggest question mark would be at corner, uh, where they've got uh, two two new corners they have to break in. That's that's the big question mark on defense. Yeah, let's uh, continue a little bit with defense. Hard to evaluate the, the impact of COVID in 2020. Just two interceptions for the team. A lot of upside, it seems, for the Boise State defense uh, as we've been talking about UCF's defense. Uh, a lot of room for growth. Yeah, I was looking at the – did a story on that today, actually. I think it's Bowling Green, uh, University of Massachusetts, and I think Miami of Ohio were the only team in the country last year that had less takeaways on defense than Boise State. They were literally almost dead last in the country. Uh, no fumble recoveries, and I think it was three interceptions. So um, they were the only team in the in, a, in the country that played at least five games that didn't have a fumble recovery. So uh, I know that stuff sometimes is cyclical. Sometimes it's just the way the ball bounces. But um, they've been tired of us asking about it the last six months, uh, you know, since the season ended with how bad the turnover numbers are on defense. So a uh, new defensive coordinator, uh, almost an entirely new defensive staff. And so um, they're confident that's going to even out this year. And, and um, you know, they're, they're uh, pretty pretty confident that's going to turn the other way. But, again, um, they're going to have to prove it on the field because last year it was not very good. And like I said, uh, two new corners, both their all-Mountain West corners leave, and they got to try to fill, fill those spots at corner this year. All right, from the outside looking in, BJ, what is Boise's perception of UCF? What is, I guess, what's the talk about this game? Is it is it a big game they're looking forward to? Are there uh, are, are folks, you know, quote unquote, scared of playing UCF? What's the UCF perception up there in uh, in Boise? Oh, they love it. They're, they can't wait. I think that they, uh, from a fan perspective, Boise State fans kind of feel like they're the. Um, you know, they, they still feel like they're the top group of five team. They feel like they're the one that kind of burst uh, through and won the three Fiesta Bowls. And they still feel, you know, the winningest team in college football history from a, a winning percentage margin. They, they, they kind of rolled their eyes. We're not huge fans of, of UCF doing the, the, the mythical national championship thing and all that because they've had undefeated seasons with a BCS win and didn't, didn't you know, even think about doing something like that. So I think from a fan perspective, they, the second this game came on the schedule and the fact that it was only two years away and not like 10 years away – 
and some of the players playing in the game were going to be, you know, be there two years from when it was announced. I, I think it was very exciting. A lot of Boise State fans are going down to the game. I've talked to a ton of them that uh, can't wait to get down to Orlando for this one. And so um, I think they're really excited. I don't know if they want to shut, you know, shut UCF up, so to speak. I think they just want to have a chance to prove themselves because the last couple of years UCF has done better than them, has, you know, the more recent uh, success on a national stage. So I think they want to show that, hey, uh, you know, Boise State is still the the group of five power. And, and um, you know, I, I think that's something that uh, Boise State fans are, are uh, you know, eager to eager to settle it on the field, so to speak. You mentioned how many fans are coming. Do you have an idea? I think we give out 3,000 away tickets. Do you think you fill out that allotment coming to Orlando? Oh. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, I mean, Boise State's a, a national brand. They've got fans from all over, and they travel really, really well. I mean, this is kind of how Boise State has made their, uh, you know, made their success in, in recent years is they would play one big game like this and then kind of ride the momentum the rest of the season. And so they still have, you know, Oklahoma State on the schedule, BYU. They've got some other big games. But, um, you know, this is kind of how they've made their history over the years, whether it be a, a Georgia or an Oregon or an Oregon State or uh, all these teams they've played in the opening games of the season. Uh, um, you know, Virginia Tech uh, when they were top 10. So I think this is a game where fans are going to be excited. They're going to show up. You're going to see uh, plenty of blue and orange in the stands. And um, I would I would assume that they're, they'll sell out of the allotment and find a way to, you know, steal some other ones off the secondary market as well. They've been looking forward to this game for a long time. And, um, you know, being the opening Thursday night game on a national stage like that, I think it's a prime opportunity that they feel like to kind of, as I said earlier, show who they are. And I think the fans will, will show up in full force. Yeah, you had an article out a couple of days ago where you talked about it may not be the biggest non-conference game that Boise's ever played, but it's up there, right? This is uh, an attention-grabbing game, ESPN primetime against the two Titans here. Oh, definitely. You look at the list of regular season games Boise State has played, and I, I was talking to some folks that are, uh, you know, have more tradition and more time in the city and with the program than me, just to kind of make sure I wasn't crazy thinking this. But I mean, it's certainly top ten, and it's probably top five in terms of the biggest regular season games that they've ever played. I mean, it, it's a uh, again, they're not on ESPN anymore. They don't have the contract with ESPN, so to get on ESPN to be on the opening Thursday of the of the season, and then you look at the magnitude of the game. If you win the game, I know Cincinnati's obviously there as a top ten team. But uh, if you win this game, it propels you into the top 25, gives you the early lead or at least the early, um, you know, uh, thing to have on your resume in terms of the, the race for the top group of five team. And so um, I, I think certainly it's a it's a huge game for Boise State for a lot of reasons. And, you know, if they want to be that team that gets back to the Fiesta Bowl and again, in Brian Harson's first year and in Chris Peterson's first year, they won the Fiesta Bowl both times. So a lot of fans are just expecting, uh, you know, no, nothing less this year. They, they want to see it happen again. They're not going to give Andy Avalos any time to ease into this and so certainly to have a, a huge game like this right out of the gate on a national stage to kind of prove themselves and, and and prove to others that Boise State is here and to have that on their resume for the rest of the season a road win at Central Florida would be huge for them so yeah it's a it's a you know they've had bigger bowl games they've had some other you know championship games like that but in terms of regular season games um, this is right up there in terms of a top five probably in the biggest in program history. All right, BJ, when people find out that you cover Boise State, how long before they ask you about the blue turf? Uh, it's usually, well, they ask about the blue turf, and then right away they usually ask, is it true about the uh, birds diving onto the field and dying because they think it's water? You know, that always comes up too, and that, that is a myth. They don't actually have to go to practice and uh, clean up the, the dead birds off the field that uh, nosedive, you know, into the water. That That's not true. But, uh, no, they, that is a uh, – before I can even finish telling them where I'm from, they say, oh, you're the ones – that's the ones with the blue field. So it does come up very often, yes. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Give us a prediction. How confident are you coming into this game? Oh, I mean, I think Central Florida being the home team, uh, they got a lot going for them. I think they have to be considered the favorite in this game. I know the spread is kind of fluctuated depending on on where you look. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Boise State went down there and won, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up, you know, losing somewhere between three and, you know, 10 points as well. So I think it'll be a game. I think Boise State, they, they like I said, they they play, you know, this is what they're made for. They, they, they play well in these big games. Very rarely do they get blown out or just not show up in a, in a marquee game like this. So uh, you'll see the trick plays. You'll see the the razzle dazzle. They'll be ready to go, and I would suspect uh, you know somewhere in the 34, 30, you know something like that. I'll, I'll I'll say UCF. I'll say UCF wins a close one. Take the over in that one. Will you be making the trip down to Orlando? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it. Staying right there by campus and looking forward to checking it out. I I've, haven't missed a Boise State game in eight years, so looking forward to getting down there and uh, you know seeing, seeing what uh, Orlando and UCF is all about, and I've heard great things about the bounce house, so can't wait to see it in person. Good deal. Well, we appreciate you stopping by the Sons of UCF Live. You can follow BJ Idaho Press, BlueTurfSports.com, at BJ Reigns, pumping out a lot of content, interview with coaches the last couple of days, and camp getting underway for Boise State. So look forward to following more of your coverage. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. No problem. Looking forward to seeing you guys down there in, what, five weeks or so. It's going to be fun. Five weeks. All right. See you, BJ. Take Thanks. care. All right. You know, we've been speculating about things, but to actually talk with someone that covers a team that we're going to see in five weeks in the bounce house. Now I'm excited about the start of this season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Boise State's a big name. I mean, it sounds like they're pretty confident in, in the squad they have coming back. They have a couple of veteran quarterbacks. A lot of newness is what I heard there, a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach, so we can relate. Uh, so it's kind of a, a new matchup. Uh, scouting may be interesting, right, because, you know, is Boise watching Auburn game film? You know, are we going to be watching, you know, game film from Andy Avalos' tenure and, and UC Davis where Tim Plow was the offensive coordinator? So it could be a tricky first matchup for both teams. But uh, obviously, you said it, Trace, it's a, it's a really nice primetime game, not even, you know, being a UCF homer. But if I was just a college football fan, if I was skimming through the TV, I'd turn this on and go, oh, wow, this is interesting. Yeah. So I think it's a nice eye-catching eye game for, uh, for, for the country. It's going to be interesting to see how the game starts out, which team kind of needs to get catch their footing. If we get off to a hot start, I like our chances. Um, but that, that's good. The first quarter is going to be very interesting in this game. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Good to hear a little bit more about Boise State and a primetime matchup just 35 days out. A couple more football notes uh, before we transition into some mailbag questions. Outland Trophy watch list. I know, Mike, you like the watch list. Offensive lineman Cole Schneider is on that. Another charge on tour stop added. Wall Street Plaza, downtown Orlando, Friday, August 13th. Media day next Tuesday for UCF. Have an opportunity to talk with Coach Malzahn and then eight to ten players in the Nicholson Fieldhouse where you may have seen me strolling with Sammy Kincaid a few days ago. And then AAC media days. Uh, the UCF contingent includes Coach Malzahn, Dylan Gabriel, and Kalia Davis is the defensive representative. Those via Zoom all day on Wednesday the 4th, if my schedule permits, hoping to hop on for one or more of those sessions, which may give us a little bit of content for twonightsmedia.com. That next week, so when you have media days, the opening of training camp, things are getting going. Interesting, by the way, the availabilities. It's uh, Coach Malzahn every couple of days available to the media and Defensive Coordinator Williams available every couple of days. So they're not gonna be trotting out every coach, it seems, from the uh, preliminary information that has been released. So we're getting closer, guys. Uh, basketball notes, both today, AAC announcing men's basketball pairings. It's the home at home. The schedule resumes the way it used to be pre-COVID. Uh, UCF will go to SMU, that only in Dallas. SMU does not come to Orlando. Cincinnati comes to Orlando. Uh, UCF does not have to go there. And the women's basketball pairings, UCF will host Tulsa and Memphis travel to ECU and SMU. Rest are home and home. So uh, this getting closer too. schedule's not out yet for basketball. Maybe by the time we're with you next week, we'll be able to pick over those a little bit. All right. Mailbag time. Uh, we've got a lot of questions related to uh, this Oklahoma uh, and Texas to the uh, SEC. But let's open up with uh, sublime underscore night. I can't think of anything interesting going on. He says, so Oreos, what's your eating strategy altogether? Split them, dunk, no dunk. Adam, I know you've got some picky food rules. Where are you at on Oreos? I, I would be a dunk guy. I don't think I've had a glass of like whole milk in probably five years at this point. So I was previously a dunk guy. The problem became when the milk got low, you know, I've got a uh, you know a large hand, so I had a hard issue getting things in there, right? So I would I would be a dunk guy. If anything, I would be a twist guy, but um, uh, I haven't had an Oreo and I don't even know how long, so. The key is you got to have a short, wide bowl cup there to, to dunk the, water, the cookie in. And I just drop them in and wait a couple of seconds and then scoop them out. Sometimes, if I, if I have time, I'll, I'll open them up, lick the middle, and then put them back and then dunk that. But usually it's just dunk the whole cookie. If you have time, are you eating Oreos under the gun usually? What do you mean if you have time? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but you can't leave yeah. a, a box of Oreos. They're gone in a day. Did you okay. see the viral story this week of people mixing Oreos with salsa? 
That I heard being about a, it. I heard a new about trend. It. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, let's all right. Let's get to some more serious questions uh, at UCF one big Ohana Eric. Okay. His question is what end result would you most like to have happen with regards to the big 12 UCF AC and what end result would you least like to happen? I'll start with, I'd least like to join the big 12 and then have the big 12 implode. That uh, seems to be of no interest uh, to anyone. And I think that the AAC being aggressive here, I think ESPN, we talked about it off the top, really, uh, sticking it to the Big 12. It looks like the AAC stands to gain from this. Uh, pick up some more TV dollars. They won't match what the Big 12 was making. Take in some of those Big 12 teams. Maybe not all of them. Maybe some of them migrate to some other conferences. But it looks like the AAC is primed to benefit from this. And perhaps it will be Power 5 uh, with UCF in the AAC. Yeah, I, I guess I'd least like to get boxed out of any potential move to a conference that allows us opportunities, right? And Mike and I talked about this on the show this week. I think what's important for all of us who are thinking about conferences, who are excited about this, you need to come up with your list of priorities. What, what's the most uh, most important thing for you joining a conference? Is it the revenue that's going to come from that? Because that's significant, right? I mean, we, we know that you know $20 million per, per school is, is TV contracts in some conferences. UCF and the American were at seven. So that revenue is significant. So is it revenue that we're after? Is it prestige? Do we want to be in the best conference ever, right, with a lot of history? Is it a conference with direct access to, to postseason play? What's your priorities in terms of what it is that you're looking for in a conference? I think that's your worst-case scenario. For me, uh, the worst case is being boxed out of all that stuff, right? Um, I think best-case scenario, again, I, I, selfishly, I'd love to be in the ACC. I think that would be a fun little matchup. It, it seems unlikely with two Florida schools already in the books that they would do something like that. But if you asked me, to, to pick whatever I wanted, you know, I, I might pick ACC. I think there, there could be some fun matchups there. Yeah, worst case is we stay where we are. We had these big 12 schools, but then they don't call it the P5 anymore. They call it the P4, and they still don't count us, right? And we're still on the outside looking in. I, I still think we had a hope we can move into a bigger conference, whether it's the ACC, the Big Ten. Uh, really, the SEC is going to turn out to be the one conference. And, and there's word today coming out before we even started the show that the FSU president is worried about maybe missing the boat on that and them and Clemson going to the SEC and SEC going to 30 teams mm. plus and, and paying players and having collective bargaining agreements and basically being a professional league. If that happens and we still get left out of that, then we're still in a lower level of football, which that's what I'm most scared of. At facts underscore UCF continuing with this thing, what percentage of the odds of the Big 12 is a repeat of the Big East? Should we stay or should we go? It doesn't seem like that's the boat you want to hop onto right now. It seems like the Big 12 is in disarray. Bob Bowlesby flailing around, firing off emails and cease and desist letters. It does not seem like a, a man confident in his position. By the way, two weeks ago, he said he slept comfortably at night with no fears of realignment or expansion. He was blindsided. Yeah, I think the old rule of thumb is you typically try to do things diplomatically and that doesn't work. You get loud, right? So I think Bob Bowlesby is in the get loud portion of the proceedings where now it's it's yell and scream and, you know, make all these demands and letters, all that stuff. So percentage wise, I think you're 90 percent of the way to the Big 12 just imploding as it is. Uh, do we want to stay or get out? Obviously, I'd, I'd rather not uh, jump on a sinking ship of the Big 12. So I guess if I have to choose between staying in the American Conference and being whatever it is that's going to be or jumping to a Big 12 and, and crossing our fingers and hoping for the best, I'd rather stay where we are. Bowlesby's either blind or gullible. I don't know what you want to call him. <laughs> but he was on this playoff expansion committee with Sankey, the leader of the SEC, right? He's working closely with this guy behind doors. Meanwhile, Sankey's stabbing him in the back. Everybody saw the Big 12 explosion coming years ago when they didn't expand in 2016. He sat back, let this happen, and now he's going to deal with it. He's going to be out of a job in a couple of days. You know, there's, a, there's an old saying, there's a rule of, there's a saying that if you, if you have a group of friends and you don't know which one of you is the idiot, that means it's you. And I think that's where Bob Bowlesby is, right? In a group of commissioners, it wasn't sure which one is the idiot, and now he realized which one that was. Uh, at Fear of the Pegasus, uh, Mike, you alluded to this. Will the SEC eventually, possibly sooner rather than later, become its own division of college football? Will it essentially ruin the sport as we know it? Everyone looking out for money, their own self-interest here, and you saw that in the last round of realignment. Uh, they boo-hoo about tradition while they work actively to destroy tradition and natural rivalries. You think about the SEC, it was where you could hop in the car and easily get between Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and Tennessee and see games. And now it's far flung across the country. They care only about money 
and being on television. And you can see how they have kicked the can down the road and now players asserting themselves a little bit more with name, image, and likeness. Heck, uh, Saban mentioning his quarterback already has pocketed a million dollars. It really is the NFL's feeder league. The NFL doesn't need a minor league. It has the uh, It has college football. Yeah, I'm not even being funny, Travis. I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years the SEC isn't a spring football league, right? We've seen all these spring leagues try to do their thing, the CFL, the XFL, the AAF. Like, if, if you tell me if the SEC formed its own league and started play from February to, to June, they would get monster ratings and there would be a ton of money available. So I think, you know, Mike was talking about the article with 30 team super conferences. Whatever you can put down on paper that you think maybe happened, I would, I would not – argue any of it i wouldn't be surprised in 10 years if you know the sec isn't a direct competitor to the nfl in some respects right because i think to, to mike's point there's money to be made there's kids who want to play obviously the nfl has rules and where you can go uh and if you want to play football um you know that you'll always find an avenue i wouldn't be surprised if any of that comes true you mentioned the alabama quarterback making a million dollars i mean how far away are we from one player like that making more money than our entire athletic department our TV contract was making what seven million dollars for one guy who's making a million. That's crazy to think about. Well, Mike, you said, uh, and we've been talking about name, image, image, and likeness for a couple of weeks. Whether a guy might opt to stay in rather than turn pro. Obviously, if you're making a million dollars, you're probably a, a, an NFL prospect in the draft. But it does make you wonder as some of these guys look at what their pro prospects might be, whether they're going to make more money. Uh, just staying in college at Brian W. Peterson. If the Big 12 falls apart, do you think that's going to have an impact on the potential for a 12 team playoff? Remember, that's not a done deal. Adam, you were uh, cautious about that uh, some weeks back, saying you'll believe it when you see it. Uh, it does seem like the SEC telegraphed this a little bit by uh, wanting to open up the field. They see a day in which six of those 12 spots are theirs. Yeah, I don't know that it impacts the 12 teams because you're right, Trace. I think the SEC, you know, I, I read an article today or, or something on, on social media, you know, about, you know, Oklahoma obviously always had an easy path in the Big 12. Texas was never really back, but sometimes they were back. There was a year where Texas Tech was good, but Oklahoma has really kind of had the easy path in the, in the Big 12 to get to the championship levels, if you will. That path is not going to be as easy in the SEC. And I can't imagine Oklahoma is like, you know what, we'll give up an easy path to go to play in a conference where we have no path. Now, I get money talks and money's everything, but I got to think that schools like or conferences like the SEC will want to keep that 12 so that an Oklahoma who may finish second or even third in their own half of the division still has an outside chance to make the playoffs. So I imagine that they're, they're going to want all the teams in at that point. So I think 12 is still probably a pretty solid number um, and, and maybe it's even higher at some point. I don't know. Yeah, 12, I think that will stay. The thing that hasn't been signed yet and that may change is the guarantee of conference champions if they were saying six top six conference champions they may lower that now that there's no big 12 that may go down to five it may go down to four who knows what they're going to do with that and then the home games the first round buys all that stuff still needs to be worked out too you know we've been talking about money in the american seven million dollars per school and you know that uh it's five times that uh, right for the big 12 uh, no matter how this shakes out unless all eight of those schools end up in the pac 12 acc big 10 they stand to lose a lot in TV revenue, right? So for a UCF, maybe you triple it. Maybe you go to $20 million, $21 million. But if you're one of those schools and you're, you've banked on $35, $40 million a year and you're down to $20 million, whoo, let's see who they hire and let's see some, about some of their facility upgrades. Uh, that's a different world for them. Welcome to what the rest of college football looks like when you're not getting those sorts of TV dollars. At Mike, WEI55, if you gave... Uh, Terry Mahajer and or Gus Malzahn truth serum right now. Uh, but you could only ask him one question. What would your question be? I responded to him on Twitter saying, Mike has already stolen my question with the, the tank top uh, question to, to Coach Malzahn. So truth serum, what would you ask? They have to answer you, Adam. Yeah, I think I'd want to ask Mohadra something about this conference part, right? You know, uh, is it realistic that UCF is playing in a, in a new conference in the next two years um, and, and kind of get a sense for that? If I had more intel, I may ask a more pointed question, like will UCF be in the you know ACC or the SEC? But I think it'd be something along those lines. For Malzahn, 
I, I think I would honestly like to know, will he be staying at UCF long-term? Does he see this as a stepping stone? Does he see this as a couple year opportunity and all of a sudden another big school opens and he wants to take that? So I guess Malzahn, I'd, I'd, I'd wonder his intentions, his long-term plans at UCF. You took my answers directly right, right off my page. Yet Malzahn has said all the exact same right things. If anybody would come here and stay here and build it, blah, 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 blah. Does he actually plan on doing that? Because the last two coaches have been here and gone in two and three years. I would like to ask Terry Mahajer what he really thinks of what's been left behind by Danny White. Does he hold him in some level of admiration or by some of his pointed comments that you saw in the uh, news release related to scheduling, in which he laid out what, you know, what were my options? Schedule 11 games, schedule two FCS, or play a road game at Florida? It seems like he didn't like what he inherited uh, and, and has taken some shots. So I'd like to know what he really thinks. And uh, I have to echo that, right? Uh, Gus Malzahn uh, has said all the right things, right? That's what he's going to do. But you know what? In fairness to him, maybe he doesn't know what the future will bring. You know, if the future of college football uh, is there and, and UCF is in this reconfigured league that has the uh, – uh, the automatic qualifying and, and the playoffs. Maybe he is right where he needs to be uh, at this point in his career. Our buddy J.P. Gilbert uh, asking, coaches will be asked about uh, vaccination rates during AAC media days. Uh, Mike, you asked about it for Boise State, a good question. Uh, who do you think will have the highest vaccination rate in the AAC uh, and who will have the lowest? He also said predict UCF's Gus Malzahn in an interview with the Orlando Sentinel saying 70-something. Uh, was his answer not specific, but highest and lowest when uh, if they answer truthfully next week during media days. Uh, so which AAC school have the highest vaccination rate is the question. Um, and lowest. Man, this, and lowest. Uh, lowest, give me, I don't know, give me Houston. Um, highest... Uh, I feel like Cincinnati just because they're always like, oh, we're the best. We do all this stuff, too, even though it's an interesting political state. But give me give me Cincinnati is the highest. <laughs> yeah, I just throw out one of those Texas schools as one of the, the lowest or, or one of the Florida schools. 70 percent is not as high as we'd like it to be. You know how angry people are going to be if we have to forfeit a game this year or if this first game doesn't get played because either us or Boise doesn't have enough guys that are clear to play. There's going to be a riot in the streets. <laughs> I hate to break it to you guys. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. If there's one game that we can afford, I guess, to get canceled, it'd be the UConn game, right? If you had to pick one. I think people <laughs> would still assume that we would win that. That wouldn't hurt us long-term in, in the rankings or anything like that. Put me down for Navy having the highest vaccination rate, even though not required yet uh, of military personnel to have the vaccine. And I'm going to go with Tulsa in Oklahoma as the uh, the lowest rate. Uh, but certainly the Texas, the Florida's, heck, Ohio could certainly be uh, in the mix there. Uh, at Rejoice Nights, what's up with stadium sponsorship? We saw some rumors of that uh, on social media uh, that uh, naming rights might come out soon. Nothing so far this week on it, but if it's being rumored by shareholder society members, it seems like they have a little bit of inside information that something's coming. Yeah, our apologies. Mike and I were supposed to meet with him last week to sign the paperwork for Suns UCF Stadium. We got tied up with something else. We're going to work on it soon enough. I, our Paul, I mean, Mike's been busy. Uh, you know, I've got some stuff going on, but we promise we'll get the paperwork signed soon for Suns UCF Stadium. So just sit tight. <laughs> yeah, I know what the answer is. I think some other people here know what the answer is. Uh, UCF hasn't released it yet, so I'm not going to release it yet either. This is the same guy who in the dungeon said he had all the answers to what the Big Ten was doing as clickbait. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. <laughs> and you don't want to reveal your insider information now. The old bait and switch that a lot of people got angry about. But, yes. uh, all in good fun. Hey, I think we got more uh, attention and clicks on that than we've ever had on any of our show postings before. So whatever, I'll take it. Uh, that just seems like a green light for you to be more inflammatory next week. At E.T. Johnson 4, what's going on with the kicking game? You alluded to this during the pod that it was a question mark that you had going into the season. Concerns after the spring game, I haven't heard anything, of, uh, he says, anything being done. Um, you know, I don't know that we're going to get a lot of clarity, uh, certainly from coaching staff, but it is an area to watch, right? Uh, 
is that is that kicking game, uh, special teams. You talk about it, you know, hypalism, all three phases of the game there. We didn't see enough of that uh, in a positive direction during 2020. That is an area that will get lost in the shuffle here over the next couple of weeks, but it's going to be very important and may prove to be important in a close game perhaps with Boise. Hopefully something's going on with the kicking game because obviously last year in the spring game was not as consistent uh, as we all wanted to see. So Riker Casey comes in as a transfer, uh, obviously applies some pressure to Daniel Obarski. Uh, you know, we know Obarski has the leg. We've, we've seen him kick uh, kick distance, uh, but uh, uh, straight, not so much. So hopefully something is going on from a kicking perspective. Um, Riker Casey seems to have a big leg, but again, he's another guy. I don't know that he's been tested in real life football action at the college level. So I think we've got two unknowns in the kicking game. I know there's a couple other kickers that we have been floating around. Um, Chris Boniel, I think, was one of them. And there's a kid from Arizona State who had thought about coming to UCF. They're not on the roster right now, so I'm not sure where all that stands. But this tells me that Gus is trying to round up as many people. It's like an NFL tryout. Bring as many kickers in as you can and give the job to Al Del Greco, right? It seems like that's what we're trying to do here for UCF. Yeah, we've already got another kid lined up for next year. Was his name Colton Boomer? So... But uh, Riker Casey is a kickoff specialist. I think that's all he basically did at his last stop. And he, he's known for kicking the ball through the end zone and not out of bounds. So I can see him being the kickoff, at least kickoff specialist. And if he wins the actual kicking job, I wouldn't be surprised with that either. Paging a Zendejas brother, any Zendejas brothers. Are there any grammaticas, are there any <laughs> grammaticas left that we can, that we can steal? At uh, Zeebles UCF, uh, the year is 2040. Gus Malzahn has just won UCF its seventh national championship uh, and with a heavy heart retires to uh, coaching Valhalla. Which UCF grade would you be most excited to see take the head coaching job? Gus Bus to Bortles boat? I'm going to go with, and we've talked about this before, I know you've talked and speculated on the show, Kevin Smith. There's a coach uh, that I could see down the line for UCF, Kevin Smith. Yeah, I think the obvious answer that people are thinking about here is Mackenzie Milton. Uh, I think it's probably where people are going. So I, I'll stay off the board. Uh, actually, big congrats, first off, to Josh Linham, who uh, just got named to the defensive staff at Georgia Tech. He was at Jacksonville State for a long time. Uh, he was on the show with Mike and I a while back. Brian Waters, who we just had on a few weeks ago, he's now uh, moving over. I think it's northern Oklahoma is where he's heading to. It sounds, sounds beautiful this time of year. Uh, I am going to go with Trey Nixon. I have no idea why. He was really personable on the show when he was on with Mike and I. He's got a really good personality. He's seen a lot of offense. Seems like a really nice guy. Uh, would run a clean program. Uh, I'm going to go Trey Nixon as our 2040 UCF head coach. This is 20 years down the road, 10 years after we play the Gators at home. No, nobody freaking knows. It's somebody we've never heard of, right? Somebody that probably hasn't even stepped foot on campus yet. And 20 years from now, there'll be 40, a young hotshot coach. Uh, I don't know. Josh Lanham is, is a good name. He's still a young guy. By then, he'll, he'll be, I don't know, 50, 60 years old. So. I like that 10 years after the Gator home game. Uh, you had uh, went back in the Wayback Machine to the late 80s with your guest this week, running back Mark Giacone. I enjoyed the interview. I like when he's talked about uh, making sauce uh, for uh, for his guys. Uh, gravy. Feeding his, yeah, gravy. Uh, I, I like that. I like that he uh, he's looking out for his guys uh, with some cooking. Listen, Mike and I love having the uh, the 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 older alumni guys on because a, a lot of folks obviously found UCF probably in the early 2000s and beyond. But there's a whole host of guys that played prior to that names that you probably saw in the NFL guys who gave their blood, sweat and tears. And you heard Mark Giacone talk about the conditions. Uh, he referenced concussions a bunch of times, which is obviously a very sad topic and kind of the, the sea change you've seen there as well. So anytime we can get one of the uh, the legends of UCF on to talk about what it was like back in the day. Uh, we always want to take that opportunity and we appreciate Mark giving some insight and, and, and not a lot of tapes are available of that Youngstown state game in 1990, but, or the noise penalty game in 1988, but it's always good to have somebody on who can give us some insight as to what that was like. Yeah. Adam and I consider us ourselves older fans because we've been around for around, over 20 years, 98. Were you around trace for that, that 1990 season? Was that that was time? before it was uh, right around the time I arrived on campus. So I, I do remember that, uh, that time frame. Uh, what I had forgotten uh, that you guys pointed out was the UCF's one in 10 against Georgia Southern all time. Ugh. 
Perhaps that's Not some pretty. future home and homes on the schedule. We can maybe even things out. Just keep scheduling no, towards we, Southern Europe. Yeah. If we schedule home and home with Georgia, our fans will go nuts. We need a three for one with Georgia Southern or else people are going to go just ballistic in the dungeon. We do have a home game coming up with Liberty, and we mentioned a game against Liberty with Mark on that podcast. Uh, Liberty, I think, is next season or the, or the season after. Oh, there's a home game coming up. Yeah, but we are just 35 days away until the home opener against Boise State, COVID pending, of course. And next week, preseason camp begins, UCF Media Day, AAC Media Days. Uh, Message us, uh, what sort of questions would you like to ask of Coach Malzahn, Dylan Gabriel, Kalia Davis, perhaps we'll have Big Cat, it says eight to 10 UCF players. I think I know what Mike wants to know from Daniel Obarski. If they bring him out, I don't expect that they will, but I'll be ready to ask Mike's tough questions of of Daniel Obarski. Send us your messages. Let us know what questions you want to ask of players, and perhaps we'll have some sound of that uh, on twonightsmedia.com and on next week's show. Uh, should be good. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited now uh, with all of this buzz about conference realignment, which for UCF is probably not going to get decided in the next couple of days. Training camp is getting underway, and, and that's good stuff. Yeah, we are here. We made it through June and July. We're typically the dog days of summer where on, on our podcast shows, we're rolling out the Mount Rushmore stuff again. And every now and again, we try to fix baseball. We're going right back into the Wayback Machine. This summer has been action-packed with stuff, which has been fantastic. But this is our last July show. The next time you're talking to, to Mike and I and Trace, we are, uh, we're talking uh, camps. We're talking depth charts. We're talking position battles. And nothing is funner than that, too. So we made it through the doldrums to, to mike's point out at the top there has been so much to talk about uh so congrats to all of you for making it with us we appreciate you coming along the ride with us uh and uh, and we finally made it we're here we're we're almost a a month away next time we talk we'll be less than a month away from our, our first game uh and there's, there's no better time than that part of the season because everybody's undefeated and everyone's going all the way and there's no better optimism than uh, than right before the season kicks off and i can't wait to hear trace ask coach Malzahn if he's already picked out his tank tops for the sideline is he oh, going boy. regular tank top? Is he going cut-off sleeves? What, what's the deal? I'm going to ask what he's doing with his Oreo cookies, and then I'll get tossed out go. of the media room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was episode 27. Next week, episode 28, 28 days away, just seven days from now. A lot of numbers there. Uh, guys, it has been fun. Enjoyed learning a little bit more about Boise State and answering all of your questions. Uh, I'm Trace Trelko. Go Knights! Charge on! You know, let's charge on, everybody. There's just a lot of charging on. Sports Social Podcast Network.